Let's pray over this message. All right, Father God, we love you, we praise you, we glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. Father, we pray that we would not leave here the same way that we came. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. We're going to be in 2 Samuel 23. We're going to get through verses 8 through 39. Probably not all the verses because I'm going to not say all these names. Um, you can follow along with me. It says, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb Bashabeth, the Tachmanite, chief among the captains. He was called Adino the Eznite because he had killed 800 men at one time. After him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahoite, one of the three mighty men with David. Oh, my ears. One of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel had retreated. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to plunder. And after him was Shema, the son of Agi the Harite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines, but he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. And three of the 30 chief men went down at harvest time and came to David, the cave of Adullam, and the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said without longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. It is not the blood of the men who are in jeopardy of their lives. Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was chief of another three. He lifted his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name among these three. Was he not the most honored of the three? Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. Benai was the son of Jehoiada, the son of the, the valiant man from Kabzeel. I just want to remind you guys, and I've said this before, your ability to pronounce these names is not directed to your level of salvation. Okay? It's just not. Completely disconnected. Because you're just making up how to say them anyway. Who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the, mid, in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff wrestled with the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things, Benaiah, the son of Jehodiah, did. He won a name among the three mighty men. He was more honored than the 30, but he had not attained to the first three, and David appointed him over his guard. Asael, the brother of Joab, was one of the 30. Elhanian, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem. Shema, the Herodite. Elkah, the Herodite. Helaz, the Paltite. Ira, the son of Ikesh, the Tekoite. Abiezer, the Anathothite, Mebunai, Husha, Zalman, you get the point. And you just skip ahead, skip ahead, like all those names, okay? We ain't got time for all that. Uh, <laughs> here's the whole point. The whole point is that there were a bunch of mighty men that at, as we're nearing the end of 2 Samuel, remember, First and Second Samuel were written as one book. So as we're ending the end, uh, the writer of Second Samuel wants to include all the people that were mighty men of David. And so there's three that are named and three other three that are named and 30 that are named. And it's just name after name after name. 
describes what some of the men had done, doesn't describe what all the men have done. But the whole point of it is that these guys did mighty things for God and David, and we want to remember them. And so what we want to gather from that today for us, uh, those of you that are here and those of you that are watching online, is that we want to live mighty lives. You should want to be mighty. You, in, in your mindset, you should say, do you want, I want to be mighty. And, and if the Bible was written today, I want to be listed amongst the, among those people. I don't want to be forgotten. And I don't want to be forgotten because I wasn't willing to do mighty things for God. We as Christian people should have the, the, the whole entire essence of who we are directed at bringing glory to God and, and making sure more people are drawn into relationship with Jesus. But we have to be used by God. And the only way we can be used by God is if we're mighty. And so we, if, if you are sitting here this morning, you'd say, man, I don't feel like I'm mighty at all. My encouragement to you today would be hopefully by the end of this sermon, you would say, you know what? I want to be mighty. Uh, before I didn't want to be mighty, but I, I do. I want to be mighty uh, because God cares how you live your life. He really does. And we should have that mindset. We should want to, to have a, a, a mindset that says, I want my name to be written and I want my name to be remembered so that God would get the glory. Now, I know I've talked to you guys about this before, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with having a good name. A good name is biblical, but we don't want it to be for our glory. We want it to be for his glory. Amen. It's not for us. It's for him. So let's get into this. The first thing to be mighty is that the mighty are courageous and miraculous. The mighty are courageous and miraculous. If you look in verse eight, second uh, Samuel 23, verse eight. It says, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb, Bashabeth, the Tachemite, chief among the captains. That's a name. He was called Adino the Enzite because he had killed 800 men at one time. He killed 800 men at one time. Now that's a feat. I don't care who you are. Most of us would struggle to kill one person, maybe two. Uh, uh, most of us would lose if there were three or four. This guy stepped up and said, you know what? I'm going to kill 800 people all by myself. And there's two things that you need to be able to do that. Number one, you need to have courage. Number two, you have to have God with you to work a miracle because there's not a man that could do that on his own. To me, as I read that, I think, you know what? God miraculously had to move to be able to help this man conquer 800 people all by himself. He had to have personal courage to walk into it, but even personal courage can kind of be veiled stupidity uh, to, to, to kind of believe that you can do something. You have to have that level of courage, but... But that level of courage isn't enough to do it. You still need God to work a miracle on your behalf to be able to see it happen. Now, he kills 800 men at one time, and, and, and this is hard, right? It's not something that's easy, and, and we don't have the time, and this isn't a sermon about the morality of the act. Uh, but but we, we can agree that it would be next to impossible to kill 800 people at one time without a bomb, right? We can agree on that? And that would be a courageous miracle to be able to see that happen. And and again, Israel and war and nation building and all those other things is not what the sermon's about. Uh, Any war uh, that passes through the fingers of God has to have a measure of justness that goes through it. But this is what I want you to get in your spirit. That is, that is more important than, than the how, or excuse me, more important than the outcome of what it is is I want you to get in your spirit a mindset that says the mighty are courageous and miraculous. And if I, if I want to be mighty, 
If I, if I want to do things for God, I have got to be courageous and I have got to uh, allow God to work miracles. It is not enough uh, to just stand idly by. If I want to see God move, I have got to be courageous and I have got to be in a position to allow God to do miraculous things. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> we sometimes drift away from the miraculous. Uh, in the in the in the day and age in which we live, with critical thought and uh, uh, science and um, you know the enlightenment and postmodern thought, all those other things, uh, we we kind of drift away from this idea that says, you know what, God can do miraculous things, and I want to see Him do them. Amen. And if you read your Bible, you would see that we serve a miraculous God. We serve a God that wants to do miraculous things. We see it. We serve a God that still does miracles today. And oftentimes we don't see them because we're not thinking about them. We're not looking for them. We're not asking for them. We're not praying for them. We're not believing for them. They're an afterthought. We say, you know what? I want to do everything on my own strength. I'm going to fight these 800 people on my own instead of saying, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen with these 800 guys, but I got the courage and he's got the miracles. And between the two of us, I know we can make this happen. If you want to be listed as a mighty man or a mighty woman of God, you have got to have courage and you've got to believe that God could do miracles. Exodus 14, 31, it says, Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. That's the outcome of miracles. The outcome of miracles is that people would fear God. We don't, we don't want to see miracles just for miracles sake. Like it's awesome. You know, heal the sick, raise the dead, walk on water, um, loaves and fishes, all beautiful, miraculous, fun stuff. But the miracle is not the miracle. Uh, uh, the, the, the miracle is not the point of the miracle. The point of the miracle is that people would fear God. The point of the miracle is that people would be drawn into a relationship with God. If you're performing, and I've seen guys that do this on the internet sometimes, they go around and they pray for people and people see miracles, but they don't present the gospel. They just send people away healed and that, that's pointless. There's no point to, to see in miracles if the gospel is not preached. There's no point unless lives are changed and, 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 and heaven is filled with more people. Amen. Because what miracles do is they make people take notice of God. And when you can testify of a miracle, inevitably it draws people into a wonder of who God is and what he's able to do. I mean, if, if we were here on Sunday healing the sick and raising the dead, it would draw people into our church and then I would be able to share the gospel. That's what it is. It's, it's not like, oh, wow, that person just raised from the dead. I'm going to leave. They'd be like, so explain to me how this exactly happened. Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, like, well, that's what we would preach. And that's what miracles do. Miracles draw people into a relationship with God. And the Bible says signs and wonders. If you say, well, what is a wonder? I'm, I, I always say, like, man, I wonder what just happened right there. Like, I, I wonder how that happened. Like, what, wonders are something that you just, there's no explanation except God, except him and his miracles. Read the book of Acts. Watch how many miracles. It's funny, and I don't need to get off track here. People say, we want to be a church of Acts, but they don't want to do what the church of Acts did. They preached forgiveness and repentance and went out and got people filled with the Holy Ghost and got, and got a bunch of miracles happening. That's what the book of Acts is about, and that's what the early church did. Told these sinners they needed Jesus and then did, did miracles. Acts 14, 3, therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. 
Acts 28.8, Acts 3.6, Acts 4.30, Acts 3.16. These miracles of the Old and the New Testament were never meant to bring glory to us, but to God. It's never about us. It's always about Him. But the goal is to draw people to Him. How, How much are we missing out on because we're not praying and believing God to perform miracles around us? How many people do you know in your life that would be drawn to relationship with him if, if they saw a miracle in their life? How many that you're able to say, you know, man, I was praying that that miracle would happen. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Are you walking in that, in that, uh, are you walking in the miraculous? Do you even think about it or do you even ask God for it? And perhaps your life isn't mighty because you forgot this point. You forgot that you can ask God for miracles, that you forgot that you can pray for him to move in a certain way. And, 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 and I don't mean this to convict you. I, I, I mean this to encourage you, to remind you, to say, you know what? I know that there are areas of your life that you need a miracle, yeah. that there's an 800 man army that's bearing down your neck and there's no way that you're going to be able to fight these 800 men on your own and you need a miracle and you've forgotten this and you've said, you know what, I'm going to do it on my own strength or I'm just going to, you know, wait for this to pass instead of saying, do you want, I serve a God of miracles. Yeah, I have the courage. He's got the miracles together. We can make this happen. I want the miraculous in my life. I want to see God move. It's a promise of scripture today. It's a promise. Let me show you what it says in first Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12 verses <clears throat> 10 through 12, not 10, 12, 1 Corinthians, that's 2 Corinthians. Yeah, it's in 1 Corinthians. I just wanted to look at this, let such a person consider this. That's what it says there, but that's not what we're doing. There's 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry, I'm there now. Come on now, that was funny. Someone got that. So good. 1 Corinthians, everybody says 1 Corinthians. That's what they say. All right, so 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verses, uh, verse 10, it says, to another, the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues, but one in the same spirit works all these things, disturbing to each one individually as he wills. I believe in prophecy, I believe in tongues, and I also believe in miracles. Why? Because the Bible says... The Bible is very clear about a, a God that works about miracles, but we've got we've to believe it. You can be the barrier to say like, well, I don't want that in my life. And God's like, okay, well, if you don't want that in your life, sometimes you can just get a, a, a side of it where you can experience a miracle, even though you're against it. Just a few weeks ago, many of you know this because of Facebook, my friend, uh, Pastor John Butcher down in uh, California, he, uh, uh, he had a stroke, uh, and he's, he's 52. He's got uh, cardiac myopathy, which is like an enlarged heart. Um, and he, uh, his heart only operates at like 19%, uh, which is already a miracle in and of itself. I mean, he's not on the heart transplant list because the doctor says he's too healthy. It's not time yet. And he's at 19%. He still works out and lifts weights and does all these things. And so, uh, uh, he and we, we kind of think that maybe it was because of the COVID that he got, because he got COVID and then he had a blood, he had a blood clot, which is for some people, a, a side effect of getting it. And I, I gotta be honest with you, man, as him being one of my best friends, like it was, it, it was a hard couple days for me because his wife sent us, sent me and Crystal a picture of him on a stretcher getting into a, 
into an ambulance and said, John had a stroke, please pray. And then you just don't get nothing for like two days, right? Because everybody's doing what they, they're doing, right? They don't have time to be calling people. So he, he lost his speech. He, 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 did, he couldn't function. His brain wasn't working. And so he goes into the hospital. And then the only, the only, thing, that, the only thing that we got um, after that was uh, this um, uh, feedback that said he is uh, uh, not doing well and he's getting worse. Uh, can you not play Candy Crush in the middle of a sermon? So, so anyway, the, the situation got worse. Um, and I was literally two o'clock in the morning sitting on the side of my bed, just literally weeping. I couldn't, I couldn't even sleep because when I closed my eyes, the tears were, were, were just overcoming me. And, and, and Crystal will tell you, there's not, all I could do is pray and cry out to God. And then it got worse. Uh, he started having blood clots in his spleen and, and he started having blood clots in his kidneys and his colon. And then they were going to have to do emergency surgery to give him a colostomy bag. And, and, and it was not good. It was bad. It was, you know, it was just not going well at all. And, and, and so we just began to pray. And many of you prayed as well. I sent out texts and, and we were praying earnestly for God, for God to do a miraculous thing. And then uh, John calls me on like, because his stroke was on a Monday. And then I think it was like either Wednesday or Thursday, he calls me and he's weeping. And I'm like, and I'm like, this is it. Like he's dying. You know, he's like, and I was like, John, what are you saying? He said, he's here. He's here. And I was like, who's there, John? Is it God? It's Jesus. <laughs> he's lit, like, he's just bubbling. And he said, Q man, Aaron Q, he's praying for me. And, and Aaron and Holly went to California and they called the nurse and they're downstairs, four stories down, praying for John, just praying that God would move, that God would heal him. And John walked out of the hospital like four days later. He didn't have to have any surgery. They, he has all of his speech back. He has no droop. He has no paralysis. He's preaching his first Sunday today back at his church. Yeah. Don't tell me that we don't serve a God of miracles, man. I've seen, I've seen people die for a whole lot less. See, John 14, 12 says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these will he do because I go to my father. I'm just smart enough, maybe dumb enough to believe that. I, I, I just, I mean, people always say, my, my, my preaching folks, it is the dumbest preaching you will ever hear. hear. It's, not, it's not hard. You just figure out what God says about a situation, and then I just tell you what it says. Anybody could do it. I'm just dumb enough to believe it, to not argue with God and say, do you want man? I don't believe that God's going to do that because this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, you want man? I'd rather die believing God's word. That's just what I'm going to do. There's 800 man armies that are coming against me. That's fine. I'm going to pray and believe for the miraculous. I'm going to pray that God's going to move. I'm not going to roll over. I'm not going to not, not believe it. I'm going to believe that God's going to do big, powerful things. 
And that takes courage, man. You got to have some pluck, some grit, whatever to say, do you want God? I I believe that you can do this. And when he does, like today, when I told you that story about John, you didn't think about how great the people that prayed for him was. You thought about how great God is. You said, you know what, man? God is good. It it drew your heart towards him. It it made your heart leap. Not that, oh man, I hope that person prays for me. You say, man, I I believe God can do that for me as well. And that's what miracles do. Amen. Amen. Second Timothy one six says to stir up the gift of God, which is in you. Are you stirring that up? Man, the the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. You don't think God can still move miracles. God can still move miracles. Here's the second part of it. The mightier fighters, mightier fighters. Now in our church, I don't really have to kind of do the encouraging of the fighting part. We have some of the grittiest earring taken off, like taking my jacket off. Let's go. Like I'm not that saved type of people at our church. And I don't know why I attract those types of people. But our church is filled with people that are ready to roll. Like, just like, give me a reason. You know what I'm saying? Am I, am I preaching the truth? And I, and I, I kind of like it. I, I, I want to hang out with people with, I like hanging out with people with a past. So if you got to go there, you got to go there. You know what I mean? It's like, it's Friday. We go to church on Sunday, but today we about to go. In this, in verse 10, back to the Bible, 2 Samuel 23, uh, verse 10, it says, what does it say? He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. And watch what it says. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The Lord brought about a great victory. That day. It's all about him. And so we, we have this picture of Eleazar holding on to this sword. And, and some of you guys can get a word picture of this. He's holding on to the sword so hard for so long as he's fighting that, that when he gets done, his hand is actually stuck to the sword. And, and, and you think about like, have you ever done like pull-ups or water skiing or yard work or anything that you had to hold on for a really long time, like a roller coaster. And then when you're done, you're kind of like, Ugh. Right? And then your hand just kind of like, oh, open up slow. Have you guys ever had that experience before? That's, that's the idea of, of holding on to that sword and fighting so hard and so long, just fighting and fighting and fighting. And then when you're done, it's like, oh, I can't even let go of this thing because I've been fighting so hard that I've got to pry my fingers off and my hand is actually stuck to the handle. And that's the picture here of a, of a spiritual fight, a fight that says, you know what, I'm going to fight so hard that when I'm done, my hand is going to stick to the handle. I'm not, I'm not doing some halfway fight. I'm doing all the way. I'm not, I'm not just going to kind of be in it. I'm going to be in it all the way. Uh, Zechariah 10, five. I love it. It says they shall be like mighty men who tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them and the riders on horses shall be put to shame. Now, <clears throat> Fighting, and and please stay with me if you're watching online. You always have to wait till the end. Fighting is actually an ethos of the Christian walk. Some some people don't believe that. Uh, you know, Jesus talked about like turn the other cheek, and Jesus said, talk, pray for your enemies. But he but he also said, you know what? You, the violent take it by force. 
He also said that. And he also said, you know what, if, if we wanted to and my people would rise up, you guys would be destroyed. Uh, but we're not going to do that. Uh, we're going to fight our fight, not in a physical fight, but in a spiritual fight. And so we're talking about fighting. We're, we're not going to go downtown and burn buildings and break windows and throw things. That's not how Christians get stuff done. We get stuff done on our knees. We get stuff done in the spiritual realms. We don't fight as the world fights. We don't see the things the way the world sees it. But we will, we will win with God and we will see great things happen, but we fight a spiritual fight. We don't fight a physical fight. That's not how we do it. And so when I talk about fighting being an ethos of the Christian walk, it's not an ethos of going and, and, and knocking knuckles with somebody. It's an ethos of saying, do you know what? I am not going to give up the spiritual fight. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to fight on my knees. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight in the spirit realms. I'm going to take captive everything. I'm going to cast down everything. I'm going to do it. We don't, the, the point is not that we fight. The point is that we don't give up. Right? We, 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 we don't, we don't enjoy fighting, but fighting in a sense of like, I'm not going to fight this. I'm just going to give myself over to this. No, we fight. We fight. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 12, to fight the good fight of faith. Lay, ho- lay hold onto eternal life. 2 Corinthians uh, 10, 3 and 5 says that we don't fight as the world fights. Let me show you this one. This is really good. I know I say that in every scripture, but every scripture is good. Second Corinthians chapter. That's why you should like every scripture you see on Facebook. I'm like, why are Christians not liking this scripture? You don't like that scripture? That scripture doesn't like you. All right. So second Corinthians chapter 10 verses three and five. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. First Timothy 1.18 says, wage the good warfare. Second Timothy 4.7 says, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. Are you fighting the good fight of faith or are you just letting the devil win every day? Because I will tell you, it is an all day, no days off fighting endeavor to live for Jesus every single day. And if you are waiting for this day of like, oh, great, the battle's over. Well, you'll know because you'll be in heaven. You'll wake up in heaven and be like, oh, finally, no more. Strivings have ceased. Finally able to just enter into my eternal rest. But that ain't going to happen on this side of heaven. As soon as you're done going through something, something else is coming up. And so if you keep saying like, man, when is this going to end? When is this, when do I, when do I have to stop going through this? When you get to heaven. And so if you get weary, it's understandable. We all get weary, but you have to hold on to this thought that says, you know what? I'm never going to stop fighting. Sometimes I'm going to be fighting so hard. My hand is going to stick to the sword and that's okay because that's what it takes. But when we fight, we don't fight like the world fights. The Bible says that. Hebrews 3.14, it says, we have be- For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold to the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. And, and praise God, some of you older saints that got saved later in life. But for some of you that got saved younger in life, you're just going to have a big, long life of toiling. And I'm not sorry. It's just the way that it is. The, the only way out is up or just stop serving God. But you stop serving God, you're still going to fight. It's just going to be even worse. Uh, but if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to live for God, you are going to continue to have to go through this life fighting. But we must hold to the end. 
And we lose it if we engage in warfare as the world does. We fight on our knees. We fight in the spiritual realm. We fight walking in the love of Christ and not the anger of the world. And I, for one, can tell you how difficult it is when someone is yelling at you and cussing at you and and acting a certain way towards you that I want to fight as the world fights. I want to throw jabs like when they're cussing at me, I want to cuss back. When they're threatening violence, I want to threaten back. But but I answer to a higher power, and, and I've got a, a, a higher responsibility than this worldly person that doesn't know him. And so it is a pride-swallowing siege that I will never fully explain. <laughs> but it's hard. But it's right. And so we have to learn how to do that. We have to learn how to control our flesh and not fight as the world fights. Why? Because God is watching, and so are other people. God is watching and so are other people. First Thessalonians 5, 8, 9. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We want salvation. It's not found through wrath. That's not where it's found. We fight the art of fighting without fighting. It's no Bruce Lee reference. Water's the softest thing in the world, but it can go through rock. Um, I've been I've been serving I've been serving God for thirty years. It's so fun to be able to say that because I got saved when I was fifteen. I'm forty five. The Lord tarries. Oh man, I could have another thirty or forty years left, and there's no days off, man. Every day is a battle. The, the feet hit the ground and, and it's time to read your word. It's time to get your mind right. You got to make good decisions. It's never going away. You got to fight. Uh, thirdly, the mightier defenders, the mightier defenders. Shema, and I, and I love this part too. In Second Samuel 23, back there in verse 12. Uh, verse 12. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it and killed the Philistines. There it is again. So the Lord brought about a great victory. He was in the middle of it, but it was the Lord. But he had to defend it. And, and if you can kind of think about what that looked like, if he's standing in a field full of lentils and he's surrounded on all sides and he's, he's fighting all these guys. But the reason why he was fighting is because the Bible says he was defending it. He was defending it. He, there had to be something in his mind that said, you know what? This, God, this ground belongs to God. And when we fought for this ground and we're not going to give up this ground, and, and I don't care how many people are around, I don't care that I'm surrounded, I'm going to defend this thing. I'm going to defend it at all cost. And that, and that one kind of gets me in the heart because I can really see what that's like when you're surrounded by all sides, but you're, you're, you're not going to give up. You've worked too hard. You've done too much. Too much ground has been taken that you're not going to give it up. Now, whenever I'm vulnerable and I share with you guys things about my heart, it's not because I want something from you or I want you to feel a certain way about me. It's because I don't want you to think I'm an Autobot. I don't want you to think that I'm not human. And so when I share my vulnerabilities with you, it's not because I want you to act a certain way. I want you to look at me and think like, man, if that guy feels that way and I feel that way, then he's probably normal, right? And I want you to feel like you're normal too. I feel like quitting all the time. All of it. I just feel like giving up. Like this life is hard. And I have weeks where I'm just like, man, I just want to go sell ice cream somewhere. You know what I mean? That's just what I want to do. I want to go rent surfboards in Mexico. I'm going to be a 
I want to be on a sailboat and have a YouTube channel. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't want to fight this fight. I don't want to fight people. I don't want to fight my flesh. It's hard, man. Sometimes I don't want to read my Bible. Sometimes I don't want to go to church. Sometimes I don't want to do the right thing. I feel like giving up. But you know what? I have, gosh, I've been living this life long enough that I do not want to give up what God has already done. It's worth defending. It's worth fighting for. What God has done in my life and what God has done in your life is worth fighting for. It's worth defending. It's worth saying, you know what, man? I have worked far too hard and given up far too much to get to this place. And it's worth defending. I don't care if I'm surrounded on all sides. Let me die defending what I'm defending. But I'm not giving up. I'm not, I'm not just going to walk away. There are and continue to be things that are worth defending. And this guy's listed as a mighty man because he defended. He, he would not be listed as a mighty man if he gave up the fight and let the enemy take it over. No, he would not. And we have to defend the gospel, the true gospel of God's grace, repentance from sins and forgiveness. We need to defend that. We need to defend church, not just our church. People always think when I talk about the value of church that I think that faith and victory is the only church. No, the church, the global church all over the world, the billion Christians that got together today, it's worth defending. It's worth defending our families, the truth, the Bible, all worth defending, but it takes defenders. We've got to be defenders. The Bible says in Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-six: a righteous man who falters before the wicked is like a murky spring in a polluted well. And many people just falter in front of the wicked. They just say, you know what? I don't want to fight. I don't want to defend it. Well, join the club. None of us do, but it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it for us to defend our faith. We are standing on the backs of people that defended our faith for the last 2000 years. And who are we to give up in this hour to say, you know what, man, let it, let, let Christianity fall in disrepair on our watch. No, this is why I value all the past parts of Christianity. Uh, Martin Luther and Wesley and, and even Catholicism way back when, like all those people, they, they did something for us to get us to this place. They fought the good fight of faith so that we could be to this place. And on our watch, we can't just like, let it go. We just can't. I don't want to falter before the wicked. I don't want to throw up my hands and give up. Who we are and what we do is worth defending. And if it's worth it, if not us, who? People say God's sending an army. The army is us. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks your reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Colossians 4.6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you know how you ought to answer each one. We've got to do that. And, and people say, well, I'm not as smart as the next guy. I don't know my Bible that well. Well, you can learn the Bible. Keep reading it. I always tell people, man, you're not supposed to be a judge. You're not supposed to be a jury. You're not supposed to be an accuser. You're supposed to be a witness. And all the witness does is shares what they know. Right? If you're in a court of law and you're a witness, the judge won't allow you to speak anything except what you know to be fact based on what you saw. You can't say what they did or what they did. Like, were you there? Nope. Can't say anything. And so people say, well, I can't answer all the questions about the Bible, but can you answer what God did in you? Yeah. People, say, people say, well, how, how come, you know, how come Jesus could walk on water? How can he make all them loaves and fishes and Noah and the Red Sea and, you know, all that stuff? What, what do you say? Explain to me that. Oh, man. All I know is that I wasn't with Jesus. My life was bad. 
I came to Jesus. Now my life's good. How that happened? I don't know, man. I just walked away from sin and fell into the arms of Jesus. And ever since then, my life's been amazing. Can you explain it? Yeah. My life was bad. I didn't know Jesus. Came to Jesus. Turned away from my sins. Now my life's great. Where's that? But you can't explain no in the ark. Oh, I don't know. Oh, in there. We defend our faith when we live out our faith. When we work and we live and we vote and we pray. I'm not talking about arguing with people over the internet, man. Dude, find a new job. Like there's weeds to be pulled down here. You know what I'm saying? If you want to get angry, come down here and get angry on the weeds and the cracks. Because it makes me angry down here. Are we defending our faith? Do we think and believe that it's worth defending? We speak in love, and, and, and the context for many of us is in love at work and with our neighbors. I, 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 most of my coworkers are good here at Faith and Victory <laughs> when their phones don't go off during service. But for most of you that, that have to work out in the world, it's a blessing that, that I, I'm in the world, but I don't have to do what most of you do. You're in a place to be able to lovingly share who you are in the gospel. If they can cuss and use the Lord's name in vain, I can say, praise the Lord and say, man, I don't want you to say that in front of me. And, and if you get fired, I know a good employment lawyer and we'll pay off the church. It'll be fantastic. <laughs> but if they can talk that way, we can, we can talk in love. We can defend our faith and say, you know what, man, I'm not going to have you do that in front of me. I'm just not. We, the first amendment currently is still in place for the most part. We have to live for Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.25, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. In humility, not in anger. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, I haven't been taken captive to him to do his will. Friend, there will, there will be times when you know the Lord is talking to you to tell you to do something, and you just need to do it. You just need to do it. God will go with you, help you speak what you should say and how you should do it. It was the promise of scripture that Jesus said in Luke 21, 14 and 15. He said, therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I'll give you a mouth and wisdom to which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. God will speak directly to you, in you, and through you. Things will come out of your mouth that you'll be like, I can't believe I just said that. Where did that come from? I didn't even know that. It's because the Holy Spirit's moving through you, doing great things on your behalf. You just have to be obedient. You have to be willing to defend. You have to be willing to be there. Titus 1.9 says, By sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you are taught, whether by word or our epistle. Remember, man, what we have and who we are is worth defending. It's worth fighting for. We must defend it. And here's the last thing, and then I'll let you get out of here. The last thing is this is that if you want to be mighty, you have to have a good name. You have to have a good name. You guys ready for this? I don't think you're ready for this. Second Samuel 23. You ready? Now Abishai. <laughs> Do you see that coming? What are we reading through? Man, Abishai. There he is again. He seems like, he seems to be like the subtitle of second, of first and second Samuel. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was chief of another three. He lifted his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name among these three. 
Was he not the most honored of the three? Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first. He had a mighty name. He had a mighty name. Abishai would be remembered. Amen? I mean, uh, it also says in 22, these things Benaiah, the son of Jehodiah, did and won a name among the three mighty name. He won a name. That's something that we have to think about as we walk through this life is that our name follows us. For for those of you that are are married and have had to name your kids, how many times when you're naming a kid, your your spouse said, oh, let's name this. Like, we are not naming them that. (laughs) What? Oh my gosh, no. That person, when I was in elementary school, their nickname was this. (laughs) Or they did this. So this person hurt me. From elementary school, right? Like, oh, that guy used to eat paste, you know? That guy stunk. Like, we're not naming him that guy. You know? He puked at recess. Like, right? (laughs) What you do matters with your name. There's a few names in our house that are names that shall not be named. So you are not going to say that name, not in my house. This is not a good name. Abishai lifted his spear against 300, killed him, and won a name. And I've said this before. I really don't think that Abishai is a well enough name. Frankly, before going through First and Second Samuel, I hadn't really put Abishai's name in my heart. As a Christian, it's not a name that's commonly spoken of. We, we have other names in the Bible that get high billing, but Abishai doesn't probably because, you know, he's a little rogue. He's kind of FEC, you know what I mean? <laughs> he's one of those guys that acts first and thinks later. Kind of has to roll it back and be like, all right, let's think about this, Abishai. Maybe that's not the best plan. All right, man. I mean, whatever. You know, I'm just going to let you know I'm down. Abishai. Proverbs 22.1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Loving favor rather than silver and gold. A good name is great. But get a bad name and it will stick with you forever. Is anybody here named Stanley? Anybody here named Stanley? Okay, good. Stinky Stanley. It's this kid that when I like used to walk to school with my brother in the first grade back in 1977. Stinky Stanley. I still remember that. I remember his last name. I won't say it, but like, because the dude just stunk. Like, you get a name like that, it'll go forever. If your name's Stanley, I don't think you're stinky. But shower if you do. Um, <laughs> Proverbs ten seven: The memory of the righteous is blessed. But the name of the wicked will rot. The name of the wicked will rot. These memories of the people of our faith, the Hebrews 11 people, are, are to be remembered as mighty. Ecclesiastes 7.1 says, A good name is better than precious ointment. Are you thinking about how you live and, and, and what your name is? See, what's good is if you have a bad name, you can turn it around. It doesn't take that long. The bad, the bad news also is, is that you can ruin your name in a weekend. Yeah. And, and you should, you know, you have a good name and, and it builds up. And people say, well, I got to defend myself. No, you don't. People that know you will defend your good name. They'll say, no, you don't know that person my, that way. I know them. They're a good person. But if you borrow tools and you don't return them, people are like, do not lend that guy your tools. You'll never get them back. Do you even care what people say about you? You should. Standing up for Jesus. And again, if someone doesn't like you because of Jesus, that's fine. You know, that's going to happen. But they can say, you know what? That guy's one of them Jesus freaks. And man, he makes me angry with his unwavering walk with the, with that Jesus guy. 
But don't let him say it because you're an angry person at all. But don't let him be able to say anything destructive about you. That's how we win people over. Philippians 2.22, but you know by his proven character. That's what we're going for, proven character. 2 Corinthians 8.21, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. That's how we want to live, honorable in the sight of God and men. Romans 14, 16, therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. Romans 12, 17, repay no one for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If we want to be mighty, we have got to have courage and believe in God's miraculous power moving through us. If we want to be mighty, we have to be willing to fight. If we want to be mighty, you've got to be willing to defend. And if you want to be mighty, you've got to be willing to have a good name want to have a good name. All of those things will make us mighty so that more people be drawn into a relationship with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? If you're watching here this morning online, um, we we end every sermon with an invitation to say, if you don't know Jesus, we'd like to invite you to come to know him. And it's really quite simple. You have to turn from your sins and turn towards Jesus. Go to him and say, Lord, I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to be set free. And he will forgive you of everything you've ever done and give you new life in him. But you have to call out to him. So I encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, if you're watching this online, either live or on recording, get down on your knees before God, raise your hands to the heavens and say, Lord, forgive me, set me free, and don't go back to that old life. I encourage you to send us a message or to reach out to us so that we could walk with you as you do that. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, you've never made a decision to follow him. I'd like to do that for the first time. I'd like you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I need to become a Christian this morning. So anybody that needs to do that for the very first time. Okay. So the rest of us, let that sermon go down into our spirits. If you need courage, ask for courage. If you've you've forgotten about the miraculous, ask God to move miraculously. If you're weary, ask the Lord to give you a fight, help you defend. And if you've made a bad name for yourself, say, you know what, Lord? With your help, I'm going to make a good name. I'm going to start walking in righteousness so people don't not serve God because of me. (laughs) Father, we submit your lordship this morning. We submit your grace and mercy. Father, we thank you for this word. We pray that goes down to our spirits. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to thank you guys so much for watching. Make sure to share this sermon. Uh, Again, if you want to be in church next Sunday, sign up on the app. Uh, We'll see you in the parking lot. We have church live on Wednesday. You can sign up on the app for that as well. Uh, We love you. Have a great week. Bye.